0: This audio presentation is brought to you by the Baptist Missionary Association Theological Seminary. The BMA Seminary provides accredited theological education for equipping God's people for Christ-centered service and leadership roles with three online degrees available now. We are committed to the inerrancy and authority of Holy Scripture and to making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information about the BMA Seminary and its online degree programs, Go to bmats.edu or call toll-free 800-259-5673. That's 800-259-5673. The book of Mark, chapter 7. Mark, chapter 7. Tradition is something that, at least around seminary, is generally held in low esteem. Because most of you are looking forward to, eager to, getting out there, And changing things. You are anticipating changing the world. One believer, one church at a time. And you are aware that there are some traditions that probably stand between you and where you want to lead your people. And you are probably in your mind thinking about, I wonder what this trouble, tradition, is going to cause me in my future ministry. And certainly, traditions have caused many ministers great trouble at times. And I want to talk on Mark chapter 7 about tradition. And I want to say at the outset that not all tradition is inherently bad. In fact, most of the traditions that you are probably going to encounter over the course of your ministry had a purpose at one point. Nobody remembers what that purpose was. But at one point, that served a functional purpose in the life of that church. And it just stuck. And sometimes... It still serves a functional purpose in the life of the church. And sometimes it doesn't. And this is where things can sometimes get challenging for those who want to lead people onwards and upwards. Well, this is not exactly what we have in view here in Mark chapter 7, but it is in no ways unrelated. Mark chapter 7 beginning at verse 1. I ask you to stand one more time as we read God's Word. And it says, The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But eat their bread with impure hands. And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father, Or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is Korban, that is to say, given to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. You may be seated. here in this passage, we can see clearly what you have already heard before about the book of Mark, that Mark is written to non-Jews because he has to explain why hand-washing was such a big deal in this scenario. These people, these Pharisees and scribes, it says, had come from Jerusalem. They had come up to Galilee where Jesus was ministering to probably investigate what was happening in Galilee because word had filtered down that there was this teacher named Jesus going around doing all these things and they wanted to learn more about him and they have observed him and his disciples evidently for at least a couple of hours and they have noticed that the disciples do not go through the entire hand-washing ritual before they eat. Now, I'm in the process of teaching my son to always wash his hands before he comes to eat. We'll see how long that takes. He's a boy.. <laughs> uh, but this wasn't about cleaning germs off your hands, okay. What, what the Pharisees had done was they had basically taken the priestly, washing ritual that Leviticus specifies that a priest was to do before he came to worship and serve God. They had said, well, if that's a good idea for a priest to do that, well, everybody should do that too. After all, the Pharisees, for all their faults, had learned one thing From the Babylonian captivity. You want to keep straight with God. You want to keep straight with God. And so you need to do everything within your power. To make sure you don't ever fall into sin. You don't ever transgress the law. So if there's a good idea in the law. That applies to a few people. Let's just be wise and apply it to everybody. That's the basic idea. And so they took things that were in the law, but were not universally applied and universally applied them to everybody. They simply took things from the law and extrapolate from them. You know the word extrapolate. That means you you just take things one logical step further beyond what is already there. And so if if the Bible tells you not to do something, for example, the Bible, God tells Adam, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what does Eve say? We shall not eat of it. We won't even touch it. She extrapolates that if, you, if, if we're not going to eat it, we probably shouldn't be touching it, Either We're just going to stay away. And so she adds just a little bit. And what happens here, though, when the Pharisees, verse 5, come, the Pharisees and scribes come, they ask Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Now, take note. They don't claim, why don't your disciples follow the law? They ask, why do your disciples not follow the tradition but in their minds is there really a functional difference because they're calling him out on it and what so often happens in 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 the pharisees day and today is that we take the things we have extrapolated from the word of god and we equate them with the word of god We take the things that, well, that's a logical conclusion to me in my context, in my situation, and I'm going to assume that that's a universal truth that will apply to everybody. And very quickly, when we do that, what do we have? We have extra biblical tradition. And then we begin to apply it to everybody else. Regardless of their context. Regardless of their culture. In the 1800's this was very common. For missionaries as they went out. To assume that everybody all across the world. Needed to live like a Victorian English person. That if you were a Christian. That's how you would be. And these things. They're not bad ideas, but they had no relevance to the culture and situation of the people they were bringing the gospel to, nor were they the gospel. They were extrapolations of how we should live out the gospel in a particular context. So why don't you walk according to the tradition of the elders? Well, Jesus responds to their accusation, and he starts off by immediately calling them hypocrites, So he was obviously there to win them over to his side. That wouldn't put anybody on the defensive at all. And of course, uh, this is, I would say, a much shorter version of a longer speech you are probably familiar with, where he describes the Pharisees as whitewashed tombs and all kinds of other things as he describes their hypocrisy. Well, this is the really short version of that speech. Okay, And and he says, you are people that you say on the outside you're following God, but on the inside you're dead. It's vain. It's nothing. Your heart is far away from God. And he's quoting here from Isaiah, and, and he's making the point, how do I know that your heart is far from God? Because you are teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. That's how I know you don't actually have the heart of God. It is truly just lip service. It is only external obedience. What the Pharisees had missed was that external obedience is not the same thing as pleasing God. Because God looks on the heart. And His goal is is to change the heart. And that may, yes, result in external differences and changes in behavior, but as long as all we're focused on is bringing someone into external obedience to the Word, we are missing the entire point. And so he charges them, saying they neglect the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So not only do they have these traditions along with the law, but they hold these traditions to the extent that they don't even bother following the law. The tradition is not just an adjunct to the law, it's not just equal to the law, it is above the law. And the tradition rules over the law. And they have focused, really, although they are reading the words of God and they are reading the law, they are really reading their tradition as they read the word of God. And if you are familiar with Judaism as it develops the Talmud and things like that, you will be acutely aware that in modern Judaism, yes, they have the five books of Moses. Yes, they have the prophets and all of that. But really, it all is out of the Talmud. That is where modern Judaism comes from. From the traditions of men. And that is where their trust and obedience lies. Now we may not do such a thing, but how easy it can be for us to begin to trust in a particular teacher, a particular author, a particular person, or a particular viewpoint. And rather than studying the Word for ourselves... We begin to study the words of men. And we believe the words of men. Even when we open the Bible and we're like, I don't see how he gets that. But we still are willing to trust the words of that man. Yesterday I was driving through Texarkana. And my great aunt Louise lives in Texarkana about three blocks off the interstate. So I, it was 11.58. So I pulled off the interstate and drove three blocks over to her house, knocked on her door and said, can I take you to lunch? And we went to lunch. I love my great aunt Louise. She knows the word of God. She's read it for 80-something years. She knows it. I distinctly remember I was a young preacher. I was probably about 17 years old. She heard me preach. And she came up to me afterwards. And she had a concern. <laughs> a concern grounded in some scriptures. And she expressed that concern. Or she straightened me out. Maybe that would be the right word. <laughs> she knows her word and she sat under great men she sat under great men whose names are in the hallway great men whose names on the library she's uh, she's heard some wonderful preaching but she's always studied for herself what the word of god says we too should be like that that we Study the word for ourselves and we disciple our people so that they study the word for themselves as well. We don't want people taking our word for it that thus saith the Lord. We want them opening the Bible and reading directly from God and knowing what the word says so that we do not find ourselves in the situation where we are neglecting the commandment of God so that we could hold to the tradition of men. Because it's too easy to find ourselves in the situation that Jesus gives as an example of how they are doing this. Where the Bible explicitly says, He says, honor your father and your mother. And of course, in those days, that didn't just mean being nice to them or obeying them when you're a child. In the days before Social Security and 401ks and IRAs and all of these kinds of things, when a parent got too old to work, they were no longer physically able to work and support themselves, it was obligatory on their children to provide for them. I mean, it seems fair. All those years they provided for the kids. Now it's time for the kids to pay that back. But they had allowed a loophole in this social obligation. That they could have something that they declared to be, it says, Corban or given to God. It's an Aramaic word for gift. And, and basically, when someone something was declared korban, it, it meant you had decided that you were going to give that to God. This had been marked out and was going to be given to God. You had made a vow. You had made a promise that you were going to give that to God. And, and, and the ruling of the rabbis was that once something had been marked out for God, you couldn't change Your decision. You couldn't go back on it. You had to do it. And so he brings up this scenario. Where a child has marked out something. And says I'm going to give this to God. And now he finds his parents in a situation of need. And he will not help them. Because it has already been vowed somewhere else. Now we could interpret this as perhaps the child is trying to sneakily keep money from his parents, but that's not the application Jesus makes of of this. We don't know what the motivation of, of the man is, that he is given this as Corban, but the result is the same, that he cannot, will not, give it to his parents. And I have to tell you, if you decide you're going to do something and you tell God you're going to do something and you promise God you're going to do something, it's probably a good idea to go ahead and do it. Now, I'm not a fan of bargaining with God in any way because God doesn't bargain with us. So what makes you think you're going to be able to bargain with him? But if you have made a promise, it's probably a good idea to fulfill your promise. But, if fulfilling your promise contradicts the word of God, a much better idea is to do what God said. What you think you ought to do for God is one thing. What God told you to do is something else entirely. One is your opinion. The other is God's revelation. And we need to be those that follow what God says. None of our ideas should contradict the word of God. None of our traditions should contradict the word of God. Sometimes traditions do that. Sometimes there have been unbiblical traditions and they've just stuck for decades. And you show up and there's still an unbiblical tradition. That doesn't mean you can get rid of it your second Sunday there. But it's still an unbiblical tradition. Or there are other traditions that aren't quite like that. But the reality is we need people to be brought into obedience to the word of God. We need to bring ourselves into obedience to the word of God. Because let's face it, we think about the traditions of others, perhaps the traditions of those that are older than us, because those are the traditions that were around when we grew up. But guess what? You're making traditions. You're building traditions into your church. What kind of traditions are you going to leave behind? Ones that are biblical? Ones that are extra biblical? Ones that contradict the Bible? What are you going to leave behind? And what are we going to teach our people? Are we going to teach them traditions? Or are we going to teach them the doctrines of the word of God? Let us hope that we stand with the Word of God.